is where we get a chance to open our Bibles and see what God has to say to us today. So let's pray. Lord, as we open our Bibles, we're so thankful for the word that you have provided for us. You have sustained it for us down through the centuries. And here we have it readily available in our Bibles today. So as we open them, we just pray that you'll teach us about Jesus and how he is the king who rules over us and will someday rule over the whole world. So thank you, Father. Send the Holy Spirit to do his work. We appreciate him as well. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to start off in the Gospel of Luke, and the sermon title today is Christ the King. Since it is uh, Christ the King Sunday, I don't know if we talk all that often about Jesus Christ as our King. We certainly have been swept away in the whole concept of president in this, in this nation in which we live, having come through the election so recently. But we don't talk a lot about Jesus as our king. And I think it's because, generally speaking, Americans don't like kings. We had a king once, and we didn't really care for it. Now, this goes back before our time. I mean, we all go a ways back, but this is even before we were born. Our king's name was King George III. And he reigned, or ruled rather, for 59 years over Great Britain and Ireland. And he presided over the loss of the American Revolution way back when. In 1773, King George III passed an act taxing tea for the colonists as a way of raising revenue in the American colonies. And if you remember your history, the Americans complained of taxation without representation and staged the Boston Tea Party. The American Revolution started in 1775 with the battles of Lexington and Concord. And the next year, the Declaration of Independence laid out the Americans' case for freedom, portraying King George III as an inflexible tyrant who had squandered his right to govern the colonies. And we know that uh, after the American Revolution, we gained our freedom as a nation and went on from there. So when we hear the word king, one of two images typically uh, enters our mind. The first is that of a distant tyrant across the ocean, King George III, who mistreats the people and taxes their tea. <laughs> or secondly, the other image that normally comes to mind when we think of king or queen is that of a now meaningless figurehead type ruler, an historical office held over from the past that no longer wields any real power. And that's basically what we see in England you know, we see Queen Elizabeth, who has reigned for so many years, uh, on the throne. But when it comes to really the government and the direction that the country's going, she serves pretty much the role of a figurehead. But when we speak of Jesus Christ as our king, we are not alluding to either a tyrant or a figurehead. 
but rather a perfect, righteous, and loving king who is absolutely sovereign in his authority and eternal in his reign. And this is the king that now rules over us much higher than our president, whoever that president may be. Now, as we turn to Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 30, we read the account of when Mary, the mother of Jesus, had become pregnant, and she was visited by the angel Gabriel. And notice what the angel Gabriel told her about this child that she was about to deliver. It says in uh, Luke 1, we'll begin in verse 28, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. She's speaking to Mary. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Notice, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. The word father meaning ancestor, not the next generation father or the previous generation, but his ancestor, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. So the angel prophesied, if you will, that this Jesus, Mary's son, would be a king. But not the normal kind of king, not just a physical king. He's going to sit on a throne that is going to last forever. It will be eternal. It is going to be the throne of his ancestor, David. And he's going to rule over the house of Jacob, and his kingdom would have no end. So the throne is something that he is going to receive. He's not going to be elected for it. See, we're used to putting into office the person we vote for or that the majority of people votes for. Not the case with Jesus. There was no vote involved. He was given his throne. He was placed on the throne by his father, God the Father. And it is an eternal reign. So if anybody has a problem with Jesus sitting on a throne ruling as king, they're going to have to take it up with God the Father, because God the Father is the one who chose him and placed him on that throne. Turn with me now to John chapter 18. We know that Jesus grew up into manhood, and after his years of ministry, the time came for him to die because he was sent here, one of the purposes for which he was sent to this earth to be fully God and fully man was to end up dying, to pay the penalty, not that he owed because he never sinned, but he was going to die to pay the penalty, the death penalty that we all owed because of our sins. And the time came just before his crucifixion that he was brought before the local leader, a man by the name of Pontius Pilate, and it says in John 18, beginning in verse 33, he was interrogated here and confronted by Pilate. 
And in verse 33, Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. So Jesus affirmed, he understood that this is what his position is to be when all is said and done. He affirmed his kingship before Pontius Pilate. Now don't forget, his disciples were very anxious for Jesus to take over control, to sit on a throne someplace, to take control over not just Israel and Judah, but of the whole world. Don't forget that the Jews wanted the Romans off their back. The Romans were ruling over them, and the disciples believed that Jesus was to be a king, and he, they wanted him to be a king now. So they kept asking him, is this the time that you're going to establish your kingdom? They wanted him to do it right away. But Jesus didn't come the first time to take over that rulership and to become a king. He came to die on the cross. He came as a humble servant. Now we know that he's going to return someday with all of the power and glory of a king. And he is going to bring his kingdom from heaven where it is now to earth and establish it here. So we look forward to Jesus returning and he's not going to be born in a manger the next time he comes. He's going to come as a ruling king. There's a beautiful prophecy in the book of Daniel that we'll turn to here in Daniel chapter 7. And we'll begin in verse 13. I think that this is something that Daniel was able to see. And I think that it's something, we don't know the exact time frame of it. But I kind of believe in my own studies that it probably happened right after Jesus ascended up from the disciples after his crucifixion, his death, his resurrection from the dead. We know that he was on earth for a certain number of days. And then from the Mount of Olives, don't forget in Acts 1, he ascended back up to heaven. And it says he ascended up in a cloud. The, kind of, the cloud kind of received him up there and he disappeared. And notice what it says in Daniel chapter 7, beginning in verse 13. Daniel sees this vision in the night. Daniel 7 and verse 13. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. Now, I think we know who this is that he sees because Jesus himself called himself and referred to himself as the son of man. And it talks about him now as man, fully man and fully God. Because to be up in heaven, you can't be physical. You've got to be glorified. 
So as I read this, I kind of think that, you know, as Jesus ascended up from the earth in a cloud, this is something that happened shortly after that, when he went back to heaven. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, obviously God the Father, and was led into his presence. He, this Son of Man, was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. I think that this is a vision of Jesus assuming his throne in heaven. And I think that shortly after he disappeared from earth in a cloud, here all of a sudden at the throne of God, he is there in a cloud, just the way he left this earth. So having come to earth, having died on the cross, having lived a perfect life without sin, having been resurrected from the dead and ascended back up to heaven, here he is now receiving his rulership that God the Father is giving him, that Jesus had, if you will, qualified for by the life that he lived here on earth, fulfilling the commission that the Father gave him of coming down here and being an atonement, being a sacrifice for our sins. Jesus has now taken over his seat on the throne. God has given him. So he is king. He is king. It's not something that's going to happen in the future. It's something that he has already assumed. He's taken on. And we sang songs here during services about Jesus on the throne because that is reality. That's where he sits today at the right hand of the Father. He has taken his throne and he has the authority, the glory, the sovereign power over all this earth. Now, when he returns, he is going to return now with that power, bringing his throne and the kingdom of God to this earth and establishing it over all the earth. See, that's going to be the difference between Jesus' first coming, a baby born in a manger in Bethlehem, and his second coming, his feet coming down and descending in Jerusalem, and he takes over control and rulership of the whole world. Now, he already has this power. It's been given to him by God. And in God's timing, that will be brought to this earth and established forever. But this was Jesus' coronation, if you will, in heaven. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Now, during Jesus' life here on earth, he suffered many things, as we know culminating in his crucifixion on the cross. So his life was not easy. He had to rely on the Father on a daily basis, and the Father sustained him every day until his life was finished, until his commission was fulfilled, the gospel was preached. And you know, during all the rough times that Jesus had to endure, there was something that kept him going. There was a vision that he had, if you will, something that he kept his mind on throughout his entire life, no matter how bad things got. And what Jesus kept his mind on was the future and what he had come to accomplish here on earth through his life, his death, his resurrection, and so on. 
He kept his focus on that and it helped him to keep a good attitude. He knew that, you know, he wasn't to, to come to earth just to die and that's the end of it. But there was a future involved. He was going to be resurrected from the dead. He was going to ascend back to heaven. He was eventually going to return to this earth in full glory to reward those believers who have had faith, who have followed him, who have been in relationship with him. He was able to see into the future, to the fulfillment of all these things, and that kept him going. Notice in Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, now don't forget he just finished the faith chapter in Hebrews chapter 11. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Just as Jesus ran the race marked out for him during his life here on earth. And he goes on to say in verse 2, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So what kept Jesus going through the temptations of Satan? What kept Jesus going through the persecution and the humiliation of the crucifixion and the pain that he suffered? It says here, for the joy set before him. He knew what all of that was going to accomplish. And it wasn't just for him. It was for all of us. He knew that he had to come to this earth and suffer in order to pay the penalty for all those who would eventually live with him eternally in his kingdom who would be at his side during his reign, which is going to last forever and ever. It gave him joy to think about that and to meditate on that and to hold on to that through the very difficult times that he had to endure. And it's a lesson for us too, because the same thing should keep us going in the midst of all the trials, the persecutions and the tribulations that we have to suffer in this life. Yes, even the pain, Okay, and the difficulty of getting around as a senior citizen. What keeps us going? The joy that is set before us. It allowed Jesus to endure the cross and the shame and all that sort of thing. And we know, we saw from the prophecy of Daniel that the Father was loyal. Once Jesus left this earth, ascended back up to heaven, he was given the throne, the power, the authority, the sovereignty that he knew that he would have from God the Father. You see, the same thing should keep us going. We just can't dwell on what we go through every day. It's difficult, I know. I'm there with you. The doctor's appointments, the hospital stays, just the everyday difficulty in getting around. What keeps us going? The joy of what our future holds for us, promised to us by God the Father through Jesus Christ. And the future that we have is beyond imagination. You know, there's a scripture that says, eye has not seen, nor ear has heard, nor has come into the mind of people what God has in store for us. And we don't understand what it's going to be like to be glorified. We don't know what it's going to be like if we were to die, to go to heaven, to be with, with the Father. We don't, we've never experienced that before. 
or when Jesus Christ returns in his kingship with all of his glory and power, and the dead are raised back to life. We can't imagine what that's going to be like. We can kind of maybe picture it a little bit in our, in our minds, but we don't know what all that's going to involve. And that brings me to the book of Revelation. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 3. Because there's a special blessing that God has in store for us. I mean, eternal life is, is gift enough, isn't it? <laughs> to be raised from the dead someday, to have a glorified body, and to know that you're, from that point on, going to live forever in a much, much better world where there's not going to be any more crying or death or sadness. But notice what Jesus says to us here in Revelation 3 and verse 21. He's giving the message to the different churches here. But he says this in Revelation 3, verse 21, to him who overcomes. Now, that doesn't mean you've got to overcome every sin you've ever had in your life and kind of be perfect. No. It means to him who conquers. And through Jesus Christ, we have conquered the world. We have conquered Satan. Uh, our death penalty has been conquered. So in a sense, that applies to us. We have overcome these things, not just of our own effort or, or strength. We don't have the effort and strength to do that. But through Jesus Christ, who supplies these things for us, he has overcome Satan. He has overcome the world. And through Jesus, we have too. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Wow. We have a, a God, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is returning to this earth to bring his throne, which he now sits on in heaven, to this earth to establish his kingdom, which is in heaven now, over the whole earth. Now, like I said, it would be a tremendous blessing and almost unimaginable just to experience, which we will, eternal life with him. But that's not enough. He goes much further here, and he says, to him who overcomes, you're not only going to have eternal life, but he says, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. He's going to rule over the whole earth. He's going to rule over the whole universe, which he does already anyway. But he invites us to sit on his throne with him. What is that going to be like? What will that involve? Now, we can't understand that. Now, we have the promise here. We know it's going to happen. But just the thought that Jesus Christ is going to take us. And who are we? Well, we just happen to be creatures that are made out of dirt. Remember the story from Adam and Eve in the, in the book of Genesis? How did God create us? He gathered up some dirt and he formed it and he breathed life into it. That's what we are. Who are we to be able to participate with him on his throne? But this is the God that we worship. This God took dirt and made people, were made in his image, but he's the one who breathed life into us. 
And, you know, he's got other creation. The Bible tells us that he's got a whole magnitude of angels that he created who are majestic beings. There's angels, there's archangels, there are cherubim, seraphim mentioned in the Bible. These are tremendous creatures that he created. But God, to show the kind of God he is, how merciful he is, how uh, grace-giving he is, he chose to take these creatures on this planet, that's us, <laughs> that he created out of dirt, that he made in his image. We couldn't even live unless he breathed life into us. And here we are, and we have the destiny of not just eternal life, but literally sitting on the throne with Jesus and ruling with him. Now, this isn't promised to everybody. It's promised to those who have overcome through him, who have faith, who believe, who heard the gospel and responded to it and claimed Jesus Christ as their personal savior. And now throughout the rest of this life, we're in relationship with him. We're branches connected firmly to the vine. We're receiving that, those gifts, the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, life, on a daily basis, we're re receiving those from him so that when he returns, he's going to know his sheep. Some are going to try to come up to him and say, well, you know, I did this and I did that. And he's going to say, sorry, I don't even know you. But he's going to know his sheep. He says that my sheep know my voice and respond to it. And that's us. That's who we need to be in this life. We need to be ever growing closer and closer to Jesus in relationship, relying on him, finding our refuge in him, calling out to him, praising him, worshiping him. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. So we have overcome through our faith in him, our belief in him, our response to the gospel in him. And we can't even begin to imagine what it's going to be like to sit on a throne with Jesus. I don't think that our minds have the ability to handle that truth right now. But it is truth. These are the words of Jesus himself and the promise from him himself. You know, we're held back by certain things. I think we're held back by sin. We're held back by the burdens of this life. We're held back by the limits of our human minds to be able to understand in any way what that's going to mean. But that is what's going to happen. And that's the future that God has prepared for us. And I don't know about you, but I'm just really blown away by that. And it's something that we're all going to experience. And we have that promise to, to hold on to. That's why he says in verse 22, he who has an ear... In other words, we, we all have ears, but what he means here is he who has been given the ability to understand this to any extent, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So take God's word for it. Just as Jesus took God's word for it, that after his ministry on earth was finished and he was going to go back to heaven and be given the throne and the authority that he once had, he was going to be given it again because he had qualified for it by relying on the Father, obeying the Father. He was rewarded with that. The same thing is said to us. 
He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let him hear what your ultimate destiny is going to be. We're not going to become God. We'll always be the children of God, the sons and daughters of God, the beloved sons and daughters of God. And God didn't have to do this. Like I said, we would have all been very happy with just eternal life. But he says, no, to him who overcomes, I will give the right. Notice it's a right. Not everybody can do this. But to those who overcome, he will give the right to sit with him on his throne. Just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. So is Jesus Christ a king? He is indeed. He sits on the throne right now. We are the representatives of that kingdom on earth right now. Now, Jesus is going to come eventually to bring the whole, the whole deal here and establish it on earth. But until he comes, we are his representatives. The Bible calls us ambassadors of the kingdom of God. So we have to live like it. You know, like I said, we've all just been overcome now with the whole president issue again, with the election that just happened. We need to be able to put that aside because the president of this country is not our real ruler. We have a ruler that goes far beyond the presidency of this country. We, we have a ruler that is not going to be voted out every four years like they are in this country. You never know who's going to be elected. And furthermore, we have a ruler in this country that we put in office by our votes. No, Jesus is sitting on a throne. He wasn't voted in, and he doesn't have to worry every four years about an election. He was put on that throne by God the Father himself, the Ancient of Days. And God the Father promised that is an eternal throne, an eternal rulership. And we're just not ruling over a country here. We're ruling over the entire universe. The Bible even says the time will come that we will judge angels. What is that going to be like? Well, that comes with the authority of Jesus Christ. So... As I mentioned earlier, there's a tendency to focus on the negative, focus on the troubles that we have. Jesus could have done that as well, but he didn't. Because he had joy looking forward, looking beyond this life to what lie ahead for him. We should be the same way. God has given us a hope. He has given us a glimmer of what our future will surely be. And don't forget, the scripture says in Romans 4, verse 17, that God calls things that are not as if they were. Because with God, they will surely be. So Jesus gives us a glimpse here of what the future holds for us. Not just eternal life, but sitting with him on his throne. And what an awesome future that is. A future that our minds can't even wrap, wrap itself around. But it is true, it is a promise from God himself, and it will be fulfilled. All we have to do is stay attached to the vine. Continue to love Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Keep in close contact with him, rely on him, have faith in him. He is our king. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, what an awesome promise you have made us here. And what's more is we haven't done anything to deserve this. We can't do anything to deserve this. But it just teaches us what kind of God you are. A loving God, a grace-filled God, a redeeming God. You're all these things, and that's why we will worship you forever. 
when Jesus Christ returns and we start to inherit some of these things we've been promised, we're going to want to worship you ever, ever more because of what you have provided for us. So we just want you to know that we love you. And even though we don't fully understand what all this is going to be like, we have a promise from you. So help us all to continue to be overcomers, to continue to rely on you. And we look forward to the day, like we were taught in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So your kingdom is established in heaven. You're going to bring it to earth. And we pray that you speed that day. We love you, Father. Thanks again. In Jesus' name we pray now. Amen. Amen.